Hi. Hello, you all. Welcome. Welcome to Parent Wise with Monica Irvin. I'm Monica, and I'm glad that you're here. I am nervous. I'm nervous about today's podcast. I am nervous because of the subject matter. As you know, I don't write a script for my podcast. I just, sometimes I, um, as I've told you before, I make a little bullet list of maybe some points I want to make, but I just talk. And so, but with this topic, I have made a few notes and, but I'm nervous that I won't get to it all or that I'm leaving out something that's really important and I just, I... I want this episode to do what its purpose is, and that is I want to help you to keep your children safe and to keep children all over the world safe. You all, we have a responsibility not just to our children in our home, but to all children who walk the earth, us grown-ups, especially us parents have an obligation to protect and keep children safe. I take that responsibility very seriously. As I've shared with you before, I have been a CASA volunteer, um, which CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate for, uh, I think almost, well, a little over 14 years. And and so I have um, dealt with many cases of child abuse on all kinds of levels. Um, I also have personal experience with this topic, I'm sad to say. And so I come to you with quite a bit of experience. Um, I can't tell you I'm an expert. I have no training, no professional training in this field. But unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of experience there. But um I am going to share with you the things that I've learned, the things that I teach. I teach classes like this to parents. Um, and I believe that when you take the time to learn and hear the things that I'm going to share with you today, that you will be better at keeping your children safe and all children safe. I believe that knowledge truly is power. Um, I wish I had known more than I did at certain times in my life. I believe had I known more, it could have made a difference. And that's why I want to just, I want you to throw out the idea that there's no way this could happen in your family. Because that's just simply not true. It can um, it can happen in your family, it can happen in your sister's family, in your best friend's family, it just can, you all. And I don't want you to leave this episode feeling too heavy and dark. This is a dark subject, it is, but I want you to put your thick skin on and your grown-up pants because we're going to talk about it, and I'm going to say the words, and you need to be able to handle it. Because if you can't handle it, then your kids aren't going to be able to handle it. And you've got to get more comfortable 
with talking about tough things if we're going to have an open, honest relationship with our children, which is what we need to have in order to also keep them safe. Um, so to start with, I'm going to just, um, well, actually, before I dive into this, let me say this. I know that many of you listening are in fact yourselves victims of sexual abuse and I want you to know that I am so sorry that you have that in your memory and that that pain is still felt in your heart Some of you, if not many of you, have actually never told anyone. Some of you have never told your family. Some of you have never told your spouse of the things that happened to you when you were little. I want you to know that the first step in healing from sexual abuse at any age is telling someone and it doesn't matter if it's been 10 years or 40 years or 60 years if you've never told anyone I'd like to encourage you to tell someone tell someone that you trust if you don't feel like you know anyone that you can trust to share that with you are welcome to tell me. You're welcome to email me at monica at theetiquettefactory.com and I promise you I will keep what you tell me private. And it's really just for the sake of you releasing your pain to someone else, to someone else who can help share share that pain with you. That's what happens when we tell someone. You know, no one can ever know exactly how it feels, exactly how we feel. Yes, if we have experienced similar things, then that is really helpful to talk to people who have experienced similar things because when you have experienced it, you get it. You get it. But... It's not necessary to find someone who has the same experience. It's just necessary to find someone who you trust, who you know will honor your private story. So, I hope you tell someone. I'm... I could, I could list and list and list a bunch of statistics. I'm only going to list a few just to kind of set the stage for this conversation. The one thing that we do know is that sexual abuse is unreported. And really, as you might imagine, the experts don't know exactly. They have an idea. Like, for instance, I saw a survey where it was surveying adults, and that survey I don't have in front of me, so I don't want to misquote here, but I believe it was like around um, 
I mean, it typically is around the 20%, between 20 and 25% mark of adults report that they have been sexually assaulted in their life. Um, and what's interesting is that when they were sexually assaulted as a child, as most of those assaults have happened when they were under the age of 18, um, almost 75% report that they never told anyone. So that's why even when we have these stats, it might be so much worse than we think it is because this is the most unreported crime in the world. So right now, this comes from the David um, Finkelor um, study. And it's um, under the Director of Crimes Against Children Research Center. And their latest stats report that one in five girls and one in 20 boys are victims of child sexual abuse. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do, just for the sake, um, since we're going to be talking about so much. Whenever I need to say child sexual abuse, I'm going to say CSA just so you don't have to hear me say that word a uh, hundred times today. So child sexual abuse is going to be referred to as CSA. But I do want you to think about that number for a minute um, because I'll tell you, I've known this number for a long time. In fact, I've seen other studies where it says one in four girls and one in 13 boys. I'm sure it's somewhere in between there, but nonetheless, it's just entirely too much. So when you think about that, you think about, okay, if my child is in a kindergarten class or in a Sunday school class, one in four girls are experiencing, have experienced, will experience CSA. And one in 20 boys, if not one in 13 boys, y'all, that's huge. Um, it's, it's just really, um, it's just the saddest statistic. Self-report study, so that means people, you know, report themselves, show that 20% of adult females and 5 to 10% of adult males recall a childhood CSA experience. During a one-year period in the United States, 16% of youth ages 14 to 17, 16% you all, so let's think about that, almost one in five of youth report to being a victim of CSA. Over the course of their lifetime, 28% of U.S. youth ages 14 to 17 have been a victim of sexual abuse. Children are most vulnerable to CSA between the ages of 7 and 13. But today, unfortunately, there's no age too young to be a victim. And that is something none of us want to think about, but it's the reality we're living with. CSA happens in every home, you all. Homes in all different economical levels. In all different religious homes and non-religious homes, Christian homes and non-Christian homes. They happen in homes of different races, different cultures. There is no type of family. There's no type of home that is immune from CSA. 
but there is a lot we can do. Another just interesting, there's so many interesting um, stats that come from these numbers that I think interesting is a bad word I'm saying, but it's it's more of a tragic um, statistics. For instance, children who had an experience of rape or attempted rape in their adolescent years are 13.7 times more likely to experience rape or attempted rape in their first year of college. A child who is the victim of prolonged CSA usually develops things like low self-esteem, feelings of worthlessness, an abnormal and distorted view of sex. The child may become withdrawn or mistrustful of adults and can become suicidal. Children who do not live with both parents as well as children, listen you all, living in homes marked by parent parental discord which means a lot of arguing in the home divorce or domestic violence have a higher risk of being sexually abused and once again um, I could go on and on about a lot of different studies but here's what we're going to do we're going to talk about what are some things that we can do there's lots of things you all You've got to become the expert. You know, we can sit here and I could spend a whole podcast episode on why I think uh, our society is is in the trouble they are when it comes to um, CSA. There has been, as you know, ever since the world began, ever since Satan was allowed to be on the earth, um, there has always been evil. There have always been perversions. But never like there is today. It's just a fact. And I'm sure I don't have to educate you on one of the main culprits of this. And it's called the internet. You know, we have... So when when men are um, those that report to being addicted to pornography... The age that those men report that they became exposed and addicted is between the ages of 10 to 12. And I know you look at your little 10-year-old son and think, oh, they're still so innocent. You know, my 10-year-old's not even interested in girls. They don't have to be interested in girls to become addicted to pornography. That's what's so crazy about the world we're living in. And the thing that's so dangerous, one of the many, many reasons pornography is so dangerous is because what we're now learning is that viewing pornography, especially on a regular basis, literally changes the makeup of the brain. Look up the studies. But what we also know is that when you see images of men, women, children over and over again um, used in a sexual nature, then your brain is trained to look at people, men, women, children, teenagers, 
whoever in a sexual way. So instead of you just seeing a, a young 14-year-old girl as a little teenage girl, you look at that 14-year-old girl and, and are aroused just by looking at her because your mind just goes to a place of, of sexuality. And, and I know you don't like to think about that, but that's just the reality. That's why it's so pervasive today. Because with this, with the internet and with pornography at everyone's fingertips, so easy, it is helping and increasing the perversion of the mind, among other things. But, so, one of the first things that's important to help us protect our children is our bond with our children. Now, you all, you can you can feel like you are extremely close with your kids. And you might say, Monica, I have such a great relationship with my kids. I know they would tell me. And even though having a strong bond with your child is important in the fight against protecting them from CSA, more than likely your child is not going to tell you because that's what the statistics say. They just don't tell. And why don't they tell? Well, there's there's several reasons. But imagine your children. One of the one of the things that we know is that more than around eighty five to ninety percent of CSAs happen from someone the family and the child know, love, and trust. And so it is so difficult for children to betray the trust of an adult figure in their life who they love. And, and there's lots of other reasons, and we'll get to that. But we do, as we continue to strengthen the bond we have with our children, we are laying the groundwork to be able to fight against CSA happening in our home. Number two, it's very important that we choose caregivers carefully. So I got a phone call about six months ago from someone. And long story short... They were sending their five-year-old son to a preschool. Um, It's the year before he goes to kindergarten. But this preschool was in someone's home. And she is licensed. She's owned a preschool for over 20 years. Um, I don't recall how many people are in this particular school, but... And the, the parent told me how much that they just loved this woman who owned the preschool. Well, the thing is, is what was happening is the woman had a son, has a son, uh, late teens, maybe early 20s. And the son um, had a boyfriend. And the parent of this little five-year-old didn't know about this, didn't know about this, you know, family dynamic. 
and I am not even, don't even get me started, I'm, I'm not um, even trying to make a correlation between uh, homosexuals and child abuse, because actually, statistically, there is no correlation. Um, it, being homosexual has, statistics show, has zero influence on whether someone abuses children or not. So let me just throw that out there because that's not what I'm trying to say. It just so happens that this boy's boyfriend was a child molester. And that boy was in the home. And this woman who owns the daycare, uh, because this boy, I, get, I, don't, I think he was 19, um, was so good with the kids that she started just letting him help out, help out at lunchtime, help help out when she just needed some extra hands. And next thing you know, um, this young man had molested this little boy. And not just this little boy, but other little boys before it, it was found out. So here's my point, you all. Unfortunately, because of the way this world is, you cannot allow your child to be in other people's homes unless you personally know in a real way every single person who is in that home. You know, and today it's just dangerous and it's sad. And, and you might think that's so, Monica, that's unfortunate. And I want my kids to be able to play and they've got their friends but you know I see I go into these neighborhoods and I see these groups of kids that just you know run the neighborhood and go into each other's houses and the parents just know that they're out there playing with with other kids in the neighborhood but they don't really they're not paying attention and knowing exactly where their child is and exactly who all is with their child parents today you cannot do that anymore. You have to physically be with your child or know exactly who they're with. And you, you can't just say, well, they're going over to Monica's house and I trust Monica. I'm sorry, but you can't do that because Monica may not even know that she has someone in her home that's not safe. And it just is the nature of our society today. You need to be careful. You cannot be too protective today. You can't. And so you have got to be careful about who you allow to be with your children. You need background checks. If, if you're going to, you know, actually have a daycare or preschool, watch them. You need to know... You know, I my one grandchild went to a, a preschool, and I didn't like it immediately because I'll tell you something I don't like, and I would not take my and my grandchild was taken out of this preschool, but I don't like when you walk into a preschool or a school, and the doors to all the classrooms are closed, and there's no window, so no one can see inside a classroom unless you go into the classroom. I want windows, I want open doors, and it's difficult, yes, but that's just the way it needs to be today because I want to be able to walk into my child's school unexpectedly and just within a couple of seconds, I can lay eyes on my child. 
but I don't like closed doors, windowless rooms where at any given time a teacher or someone doesn't know that someone could just pop around the corner very easily. And so when I'm looking at where I'm taking my child, I'm looking for things like that. Now, let's talk a little bit about grooming. I know you've heard the grooming word before. You all, people who like to hurt children, I cannot overemphasize how good they are at fooling that child's parents. Have you ever noticed, I mean, like with my grandkids, you know, when my grandkids come over, I am all about my grandkids. I mean, that's, that's just it. I, that's all. I'm, I'm there for the purpose of being with my grandkids. And I set my hope, excuse me, I set my whole world aside, my life aside. And while they're at my house, I'm just going to play with them. But let's say that, you know, you're at a big family reunion and just, you know, everyone, there's adults, there's kids, most of us adults. When we're in that kind of situation, you know, we'll talk to the kids and we, we may go swing them on the swing and play with them. But then we're then we're back talking to adults again. And so I'm going to give you several signs of grooming. And, you know, you all, I'm going to tell you something. It's not foolproof, but you need to be aware of it because here's what happens. Even if you're wrong. Even if you notice some of these behaviors, and you might notice these behaviors um, about an adult who is innocent, but I'm going to tell you something. When you notice these behaviors, what's going to happen is your alert system is going to go up, and that's what should happen, and it's too bad if they're innocent. I'm not saying you're going to go accuse them of being a child molester, but your alert system is going to go up. And you're going to be more diligent when your child is around that person. And you're going to do some double checks. And you're going to just take some actions to make sure that what if I'm right, nothing happens. So um, those who like to groom spend an unwarranted amount of time with children. Like an unusual amount of time with children. A lot of times though, someone who's grooming a child typically pretty quickly lasers in on one particular child and so what they'll do is they'll kind of give one child a lot more attention than other children because they're starting to groom that child and test that child they start testing the boundaries of that child and and sometimes you know, they might change their mind about a child because that child's not responding the way they want. And so they might move on to another kid. But typically, a groomer is going to pretty soon focus in on one particular child. And one of the ways that they start grooming a child is giving them special attention and do special things with that child and give that child gifts and kind of you can kind of tell they prefer that child over other children sometimes it's a specific gender another thing that you might notice is um, someone isolating a child from family and friends like they're they seem to always be wanting to kind of even if it's right in front of you kind of just be off to their side so they can talk and no one else hear them talking and 
and maybe whispering and, and that kind of thing. So anytime someone is, is making a, a pretty good effort to try to be alone with a child, that is a, a red flag. A lot of times someone who is grooming a child grooms the family while they're grooming the child. So there, it's almost, the way I would describe it is, it's like they're too good to be true. They're like, oh, I'd love to help you with that. Oh, let, you know, they'll come over and help the mom do yard work, which is, and I'm not saying all of us hopefully will do that every now and then, but it's like they're always wanting to help. And because sometimes that's how an adult starts grooming a mother, grooming a family so that that family trusts that person. And then the next thing you know, they're going, oh, I'll pick, I'll pick her up from school today. I'll take her to soccer practice. They're looking and trying to facilitate opportunities to be alone with that child. And honestly, today, parents, I hope you don't allow your child to be alone with anyone besides mom and dad, grandma, grandpa. And there's things we're going to talk about to be careful about mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. But um, that is a, a red flag when someone is always trying, you know, just too good to be true, too helpful, and then really volunteering to do things alone with the child. A lot of times when someone is grooming, what they do is they gradually cross physical boundaries. Meaning, at first, they'll maybe tickle your child a little bit. And they'll see how the child responds, but they're also getting the child used to them touching them. And sometimes a groomer will do it right in front of mom and dad. Mom, dad, nobody should be tickling your child. I mean, maybe grandma or grandpa, okay? It's a very small circle of people who actually, you know, tickle. And the one thing about tickling, what I would say, is that it's not something I've ever liked, but there's some kids who love it. If you've got a child who is instigating a tickle fight with grandma or grandpa, I, you know, I probably wouldn't worry about that. But, you know, if it's the adult, adults don't need to instigate that, really. Not that kind of behavior. That kind of behavior really needs to be instigated by the child. And it's the same thing with physical touch, because here's the thing. I know you've heard me say it before, that I hate, H-A-T-E, hate, when I hear parents say, oh, go, go hug Grandma Monica, bye, go hug um, Aunt Monica, bye, and I'm just using my name because I don't want to use anyone else's name. I'm not saying that happens, you know, in my family, but what I'm telling you is it is not appropriate for us to tell our children to go give physical affection to other people. That is something that our child gets to choose when and who to do that to. Because, you know, you don't ever want to send the message to your child that it's polite for you to go hug someone you, who you really don't want to hug them. You're not really comfortable. But sometimes you have to do things with your body that you're not comfortable doing because it's polite. We all know that that's a dangerous message we're teaching our children. You know, we teach our children that their body is their, they own their body. And they decide what to do with their body. 
Now, they don't get to decide whether they take a bath or not, but you know what I mean. And so we've got to be really careful with the message we're sending. So I think I'd share this with you all before, but um, in fact, I know I have, but you might not have heard me on that episode. But one time I walked into my church gymnasium and there was a big circle of just, you know, church members just standing in a big circle after church one Sunday talking, you know, innocent as it could be, right? Just that's what we do at church. You know, we stand around and talk. Well, it just so happened that when I walked in this one door, you know, the back to some of those people in the circle were facing me. And there was this guy in the circle, and I know the guy, nice guy, but uh, goes to my church. He was probably in his mid-20s at the time, single, mid-20s. And beside him was this little girl who was the daughter of a friend of mine. She was probably about 12 years old at the time. And while they were standing in this circle, I saw him take his hand and he was like tickling her back. Well, the second I saw that, I mean, I just kind of had this chill go through my body because that is just, it's not appropriate. I had no idea their relationship. I didn't know if he was a special friend to this family But all I know is a 20-something-year-old boy does not need to be tickling the back of a 12-year-old girl. It's just not appropriate, you all. Well, so after a little while when the uh, little circle broke away, I pulled her mother aside. And her mom could have got mad at me. But, you know, when it comes to things like this, y'all, I just don't care. Um, Kids' safety to me is number one. It's a priority over every other thing, over relationships, over polite behavior. And so I just pulled my friend aside and I said, hey, I, I don't mean to overstep here, but I just wasn't positive that you were aware that while you were in that circle talking, so-and-so was tickling your daughter's back. And my friend said, what? Monica, are you serious? She's like, I didn't even notice that. I was like, well, he was. So you all, let me tell you something. That is so common. I cannot even tell you how common that is. I've, I have had stories where a full inappropriate Um, sexual assault happened at a dinner table with mom and dad present. It can happen. Y'all, it can. And so see what happens. Why this is such a typical behavior is because let's let's put ourselves in that 12-year-old's shoes for a second. There she is, 12 years old, standing there. And all of a sudden, she feels this guy tickling her back. I'm sure she was uncomfortable, but what does what does a 12-year-old do in this situation? They do exactly what you would do at 12 years old. You just stand there because you don't know what to do because you're usually too embarrassed to say, "Don't touch me." Kids don't do that, y'all. They just they just don't. And all of a sudden, she's standing there because she doesn't want to embarrass him or embarrass herself. And she knows it's not right, but she doesn't know what to say. And then she starts immediately feeling guilty because she didn't tell him to stop. And so then she doesn't want to tell her parents about it because then she thinks it's her fault because she let this guy tickle her. Do you see why they don't tell? Because immediately their brain starts complicating all of that in their head. So... 
we have to be vigilant. And, and we're going to talk about things we can do to help our daughter know how to handle that in a minute. So um, those who groom um, are gradually, once again, crossing physical boundaries, oftentimes right in front of the parent. Another thing that grooming always includes is secrets. That's a big one. They start by just little secrets. I was watching a training video a few weeks ago, um, and this was a, a true story, and it was a, a coach who, wait, hold on. No, I'm sorry. It, yes, it wasn't a coach. It was a clergy leader which I know makes your skin crawl, but it was, and it happens. It was a clergy leader who was um, CSA a boy, um, a young adolescent boy. But what happened was, you know, he started, you know, here the parents, they are so excited because this clergy leader is inviting their son. Oh, I'll take your son to a museum. I'm interested in the same kinds of things he is. And I'll take your son home from this, and I can drive him home from church on Wednesday nights. And, and I mean, it's sad because I know, y'all, I know there's a lot of good adults who just want to help children, who do not harm children and are trying to help families and would love to give a needed family their child a ride home. And it's so sad that we can't trust that anymore. But you you guys, you can't. I'm sorry. It's just a different world. You can't. You know, if there's a third person present, if it's, you know, brother, you know, and sister, you know, they, then you can think about it. But it's just not safe. And I'm, you know, sorry, I'm not trying to put men under the bus statistically. It's just so much more likely that a man is going to harm a child than a woman. I'm not saying it's impossible. There are, there are cases of women abusing um, children. It's just very, very low. And so the fact is you don't need to have your child alone in the car or anywhere else with another man. You just don't. And so what happened was this clergy leader um, eventually showed this young boy, he was grooming this boy, and he, and this is very common, he showed him some pornography on his phone. He said, hey, look at this. And the boy looked at it and said, what are they doing? And the, um, you know, the clergy's like, well, they're having fun. And then he put it away real quick. He said, now listen, don't tell your parents they would not want to know. This is our secret. You know, this is just something between us. So immediately what happens is someone who grooms will start testing the waters. But they also, what happens is, this is so important, is they go ahead and get the child to participate in, a, in like what we would call a small offense. Like seeing that pornography for a quick minute is a, well, you can call it a small offense. The child knows it wasn't appropriate. And then so what happens is when that child then doesn't tell their parent, as most kids wouldn't, then the groomer starts using that to hang over their head. So then they show them a little more, they do something else, and then eventually what they do is they use all those things to, quote, blackmail the children, like, 
if you tell, I'm going to tell your mom and your dad that you were looking at pornography and that you've done this and this. And, and all of a sudden the child is so scared and the child feels like it's their fault. They ever looked and they ever did this and this. And then so the secrets just build and it's like they, they get them in a trap. Very, it's very, it's easier than you think to get uh, children to feel like they're trapped um, and so that is part of the grooming. Um, okay, so what are we going to do to start helping um, now that you understand a little bit more about the grooming process? So one thing that you can do is very early, this is so important, is you teach and talk to your kids that in your family there are no secrets period. Y'all know secrets. There, you know, I know mom and dad talk about things that they don't want their children to hear. So you can say, you know, when there's those times do arise, you might say, you know, this is a conversation between mommy and daddy. But here's where we go wrong. We, sorry, I gotta put something on my lips. <laughs> I'm talking too much. Um, I hear mom and dad say, okay, don't tell your mom, but we're going to stop and don't tell her we got milkshakes tonight for dinner. Or don't tell your dad that that costs $30, you know, when I was only supposed to spend $10. Oh my goodness, don't you ever do that. Don't you ever tell your kids to keep a secret from the other parent. Because y'all, you, you can't have exceptions to this rule. So there's no secrets. And so what you do is you talk about it and, you're, and you say to them, if anyone ever says, don't tell your mom or don't tell your mom and dad or keep this a secret or keep this between you and me, you say to your kids, if anyone ever tells you to keep a secret from mom and dad, I want you to know that you have my permission you know, that you're going to tell them, I'm not allowed to keep secrets. And then you're going to come tell me that someone tried to get you to keep a secret. Now, if it's an older child, you, you know, there's, when it comes to children's safety, I break all kind of rules that, and I've taught my children. You know, if, if my child is in a very uncomfortable situation, and they, are, they don't know how to get out of it, then I tell my child, this is really important, you all, and this is where you can role play this. Let's say, say your child, you're with someone, and all of a sudden they start to do something that makes you uncomfortable, and you don't want them to think you're a sissy, or you don't want them to think you're scared, or you don't want to make them mad, but you don't want to do what they're doing then what you can do is just all of a sudden say, oh, excuse me, I got to run to the bathroom. And you excuse yourself and get out of there. And then you can either come call me, you can come get an adult, but you just escape that situation by just saying, oh, I'll be right back. I got to go to the bathroom. And so you, you can break, you know, so you might call that lion. It's called keeping yourself safe. And so we've got to teach our kids and role play with our kids how to escape an uncomfortable situation um, by doing something like that. Now, another thing, 
that is, and I know you've heard this when it comes to um, teaching children how to keep them safe. So why is it that everyone says you've got to call private parts what their names are? Like, why are we supposed to tell our kids to call their penis a penis and their vagina a vagina and their breast breast? Well, because you all, it's the only way to make sure that you are being crystal clear on appropriate behavior and inappropriate behavior. Okay, so instead of just saying no one's allowed to touch your private parts, I mean, okay, so yeah, maybe you, you think that's clear enough, but in all honesty, you need to be more clear. You need to be more clear and say, I want you to know that it is wrong and no one is allowed to touch your penis. No one is allowed to touch your vagina. And when it comes to your little children, which little three and four-year-olds, unfortunately, are CSA all the time, um, you need to establish exactly what is allowed when bathing. Like maybe you still have to help your six-year-old bathe. And there needs to be rules about that, though. It needs to be like, I mean, you can teach your three-year-old how to take a rag, a soapy rag, and wash their privates. They really don't need mom or dad to wash their privates. They don't. Now, you can supervise, but that's where you teach them early. You know, mommy is going to help you wash your whole body, but only you wash your privates. But this is how I want you to do it, and this is what, and I'm going to hand you the rag, and you need to do it. And so you can do that, but you start very early setting up the rules about things like that. Now, the thing is, is that even though you can teach that, and even though you can teach them about how no one's supposed to touch them, what happens, um, so I... I have too many stories, unfortunately, but um, sometimes stories, though, help you understand the dilemma that our kids are in. So a little girl went over to spend the night at her friend's house, and uh, she was in her friend's bedroom, and in the middle of the night, the dad came into her into the bedroom and put his hand on her arm and she opened her eyes and saw the dad, jumped a little bit, but he, he, he was immediately like, shh, you need to come with me. And so what does a little girl do? What your little girl would do, she gets up and goes with the dad. He takes her into another room and he abused her. And she just, you know, laid there because she didn't know what to do because they don't know what to do. And see, this is why... This is why so many children and so many of you that were abused as children still carry guilt because where the guilt comes from is because most children don't scream. Most children don't cry when it's happening to them. Most kids just lay there. And the reason they just lay there is because they don't. They're scared. They don't know what to do. They're embarrassed. They're afraid. They're taught to obey grown-ups. And so they just lay there. But yet, deep down, they know that it was wrong. You know, they do know that. 
All kids do. They know it. But then what happens and where their brain gets so, what's so tragic about it is they, they, they start feeling guilty that they didn't say stop it. And they feel guilty that they just lay there. But of course they did because that's what they do because they don't know what else to do. And so we have to, we have to help our kids understand even, you know, while you're teaching them that no one's allowed to touch your vagina. But, but honey, if anyone ever does, and if anyone ever does, and you're too afraid to say, stop it, and you're too afraid to say no, you can say no. But I want you to know that the next time you see me, you can whisper in my ear and tell me, mommy, so it happened, somebody touched me. And no matter what they told you, even if they told you you were going to get in so much trouble, you never will. Because it's safe. It's safe for you to tell me if anyone ever touches you when they're not supposed to. You know, parents, you just have to say it. And and I hear you. I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, Monica... I am not, I do not want to tell my four-year-old daughter that because I don't want my four-year-old daughter to be paranoid that someone's going to touch her. I don't even want my five-year-old son to even imagine someone touching him. Well, you all, I don't either. And I don't want your kids to have to know that. And I wish we weren't living in the world we're living in and that your kids never had to hear one bad, awful thing until they were adults. It's just not the reality we're living in. And what I would rather is I would rather you be uncomfortable and unfortunately your child have to think about some things that we wish they didn't have to think about. I would rather that be the case than for for abuse to happen to your child and it to go on for months and months and sometimes years and your child was not equipped and you never talked about it so they have no idea how to come to you. They're too afraid that it is their fault because a lot of times the groomer tells them it's their fault. Um, and that's what I don't want. So I'm willing for you to have to roll the dice and just unfortunately cause yourself and your child some short-term uncomfortable conversations so we can make sure that if worst case scenario happens, your children have a higher chance of taking action where we can stop it sooner. That's what is important to me. Because I know that's what will help them not have lifelong battles with depression and low self-esteem and all the other terrible things that come from this. Um, so there's no secrets in our family between no one, even mom and dad. We always name our private parts. We say what they are. We, we discuss specifically what is allowed to be touched and by who and how. Um... We make sure and go over with our children that says, we literally say, if someone tells you, 
if you tell your mom and dad you're going to be in so much trouble, you're not going to be in trouble. That's a trick. And you're smarter than a trick. And you're going to whisper and, and, you know, tell me. We can go in private and tell me. So another thing that helps you all, and this just helps in general. You, I think you've heard me talk about this before, but... A lot of times when kids are feeling uncomfortable, whether something is about to happen or has happened, or maybe they just were shown something or whatever, so often kids just cannot find the words to say it. Like, you know, kids can't say, Mom, when I was over at Brian's house today, I saw an image of a naked woman. You know, they just don't know how to tell you that. But yet it's so imperative that we know, right? And so that's why it's so necessary for you to at least once a month to make sure that you or your spouse are having monthly private interviews with your children. Because that's what saved me and my kids, I believe. When I would sit down with my son and say, Have you seen any images of pornography? Have you been asked to lie by anyone? Have you been in a situation that's made you really uncomfortable recently? (laughs) Y'all, I just was always shocked at when I'd get an answer. Well, actually, Mom, this happened. And I just can't tell you how many times. Um, but I can tell you this, had I not asked those questions, I wouldn't have known half of what I know and I wouldn't have been able to help my children. And so we need to realize that for a lot of our kids, it's just so hard for them to find the words. So we have to find the words for them. It's much easier to say to mom and dad, yes or no, than to come up with the sentence. Y'all, I know this podcast is going long. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to speed it up a little bit. Um, Let's see. Okay. Um, What do we do if something does happen? Um, What's our first step? So parents, uh, one of the saddest stories that I hear over and over and too many times. Oh, so many times. (laughs) When I meet parents who were victims of CSA as children, the most common story I hear is when I say, well, once you told what happened, and nine times out of ten, they'll say nothing. So that is what prevents children from overcoming what's happened to them. Look, it's not okay to be more, more worried about the reputation of your family than the safety of your child. And when I say safety, so some parents will say, well, we didn't allow our child to be alone with that person anymore and that ended it. That doesn't end it, you all. That, and that doesn't help your child who's been a victim overcome. Children need to see that when someone hurts them, they are held accountable. That's what they need to see. 
this one lady I met one time, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we should do this, but I just want to give you an example of kind of the polar opposite of doing nothing. So there was a, I met this woman when she was a teenager. <clears throat> some, I don't know, some workmen came to their house to do something on their house. And she said she was just uh, in the family room watching TV and these men had, I don't know if they were there painting or something. Well, anyway, uh, and then one of the workmen left and so there was just this one man left. Well, the mom uh, ran to the grocery store and I guess just didn't think, you know, you just can't imagine. Well, when the mom left for the grocery store, that man came in and he did rape this girl. Well, when her mom got home, and that's an unusual sexual assault, to be honest with you, because 90% of the time, those who um, hurt children is, once again, someone they love, trust, and the family knows. So this is a more unusual situation. But when the mom came home, the daughter told her mom what happened, was crying, blah, blah, blah. So the mom throws her daughter in the car, she says, and is taking me to the hospital. And she's speeding down the road. And all of a sudden, that man, I guess, I don't know why he didn't have a car, whether his buddy left with the car, but that man was walking down the road. And she says, all of a sudden, my mom jerked the car over and just got out of the car and tackled that man. And she said, I watched my mom beat this man I don't know she said she he she beat him awful and and then she got off the man and came and got in the car and they drove on to the hospital and I asked the woman I go was he arrested and she says to be honest I don't think so she said but I when I was watching my mom just over and over again with her fist hit this man she has something about that just, it felt so good. And this woman went on and and was able to overcome this. Now, I'm not telling you that you should go do that, but it's, it's really to make a point, you all. Your kids have to see you hold the person that hurt them accountable, whether it's a family member. You can't let other people tell you what to do or not. I was in a situation once, and unfortunately I have too many experiences, but a, a situation where I was at a facility and we had an incident between a teenage boy and a little girl, and as soon as the situation was discovered, I immediately get my phone out and start calling the police, and there was a man beside me who knew the family of the teenage boy. And was like, Monica, Monica, wait, what? Don't call the police yet. Let's just let's just handle this ourselves. And that is such the wrong answer. That's a typical answer. And it's not the appropriate answer. And so the authorities need to be called. Um, Child Protective Services needs to be called whenever there's an incident. Because here's the thing. It's usually never just one incident. And unfortunately, statistics say that when, um, especially when it's a, a adolescent who abuses a child, the chances of that adolescent becoming an adult who abuses children is, is high. I don't know what the latest number is, but it's so high. And so it's important that 
The reason you want to call the authorities, it's not just about punishing someone. It's making sure that the perpetrator is forced to receive and get the help that they need to try to eliminate them from hurting someone else. So it's really important that we take action and that our children see us hold those who hurt them accountable. Um, there are some warning signs of abuse, you all. And look, it's like with anything that is when there are big changes in children's life. But some of the warning signs is a loss of appetite, is increased um, like a unusual. All of a sudden they start wanting to be alone or all of a sudden, they start wanting other people to be with them. You know, I have friends who their teenage daughter all of a sudden wouldn't take a shower, wouldn't go in the bathroom and shower without her mom sitting there on the commode. There couldn't be a bigger red flag that something's going on. And it it's sad how often these signs are overlooked and not taken seriously. Um when there's all of a sudden a change in mood, um, when children out of the blue start wetting the bed, when children out of the blue start crying, we had a situation with a young child who was being abused, and once the abuse came out, you know, as the parents started, as so often happens, you start backtracking in your mind, what warning signs did we have that we missed one of the things that this family talked about was how their little four-year-old son just all of a sudden, you know, out of the blue would start crying and he would start crying. And, and when his parents would say, honey, what's wrong? Why are you crying? He would say, I miss my grandma who died. Well, what was interesting about that is his grandmother died when he was six months old. So he, he didn't know his grandmother, but he, there was a picture of his grandmother, a couple pictures of her in their house. And afterwards, after the abuse came out and the little boy got into counseling, the counselors told the parents that this was actually a common behavior, that a lot of times children, they are hurting and they don't, they're, they're emotionally not old enough or not capable to understand, to fully comprehend why they feel so bad. But they know it's socially acceptable to cry when someone dies. And so the parents were just so confused why their four-year-old all of a sudden was crying a lot and blaming it on the fact that he missed his grandmother, who he never knew. Well, lo and behold, he was being sexually abused by a brother. And so changes in behavior. Most of the time, you all, there are not physical signs, but there can be. Um, you know, and another story, and, and not to get too graphic, I know I've already said a lot, but a little boy, all of a sudden, out of the blue, started screaming when he went number two. And I know that We've all had kids that can get constipated. And, you know, a, a large bowel movement can make a little child cry. But it's just that this child had not had a change in their diet. Nothing had changed. Just all of a sudden, it was painful to go to the bathroom. And lo and behold, that child was being abused. 
Um, so I just, I, well, one other sign that's very common. So I'm going to tell you this. And I know this is so hard, you all, because as you know, uh, look, I'm the mom of three boys. All of my boys, you know, uh, found their penis by the time they were two years old. I don't even remember three years old. And, and for sure, I'd have to say, okay, let's, let's leave that alone. Um, so I know we know that. And so it's hard to kind of know, um, you know, where's the line between start worrying about something and not. But for sure, a preoccupation with your genitals or is is a red flag it doesn't mean necessarily but what i would tell you is if your little child starts being preoccupied with their genitals well it is a red flag of abuse it doesn't mean for sure they're being abused but what it means is that you're gonna your spidey senses need to go on full alert that's what that means um I had a, a mother that said that her son had been being abused, and he was little. I think he was three or four. And all of a sudden, he she found him more than once with his big sister's Barbies. He would take their clothes off and put their Barbies in his underpants. Now, y'all... I mean, it could happen. It could just be some weird behavior. But what happens a lot of times is when little children or children are being abused, they are exposed to things. A common practice now is is people who abuse children will show the children pornography and different types of pornography to help the child understand what they want the child to do. I know it's awful. I know you don't want to think about it, but you need to know. Um, and so my point is, I, I, I know that chances are, after all I've told you today, which I'm almost done, um, you're going to worry about every little thing. And I, I hate that. And I'm sorry, but, but, but is but. The fact of the matter is, you need to, parents. It's the reality that we're living in. You've got to pay closer attention today for all the reasons I've described. We, we talk to our children a lot about when something doesn't feel right. We have to give our, we have to role play with our child and help them to practice how they can tell us something difficult. You know, we sit there and go, okay, let's say that there's something that you're really scared to tell mommy or daddy but you really feel like we should know. Let's practice how you're going to tell us. And you literally help your child come up with what they're going to say like. Maybe you end up and that you can write it down. You can practice and they're going to say, Mommy, I have something to tell you that I'm really scared to tell you. Remember, like we've always talked about, might happen someday. But you said I could tell you and I wouldn't get in trouble. Is that right, Mommy? And you're going to say, yes, that's correct. Um, and you're going to help your child tell you whatever it is they want to tell you. Um, the last thing I just want to tell you is that because phones are used so much today, even by perpetrators, instead of just, you know, instructing our children about who can touch them, what kind of touch, where they can't be touched, 
you do also have to have the conversation that no one is allowed to show them pictures of naked people. And if someone shows you a picture of a naked person, you you can say, don't show me that. I don't like that. And if you're too scared to tell them that, you can just come and whisper in my ear, mommy, so-and-so showed me a naked picture. And if they tell you, don't tell mommy that you saw this naked picture or she'll be so mad at you. I want you to know I won't be mad at you. I'll be so proud of you that you told me even though you were scared. That's the kind of conversation that we have to tell our children. Okay, last thing. Uh, This is really a podcast. uh, I need to do a separate podcast on sexting with teens. And I know right now you're going, Monica, no more. This is enough. Okay, but I'm going to tell you one more thing, okay, while we're on this dreaded topic. Y'all, I unfortunately, so um, the, the studies are showing it is overwhelming how many young girls, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have the latest, I read the latest number like a week ago, and I don't remember what it was, I have too many numbers running in my head right now, but it shocked me how many girls in middle school and then in high school, but it, it starts now in elementary school and middle school, are reporting that they have been asked to send a naked picture, um, it's called a nudie, uh, to someone. And so a lot of times, there, this is a grooming process too, you all. And I mean, it's so easy how this happens. And we've got to talk to our kids. That's why it's so important that you speak specifically to your kids about these things. And I know it just hurts your heart that you have to. But for instance, what, what, how it's happening so easily is what will happen is a boy, especially an older boy, will start paying a lot of attention to a young girl. And y'all, come on, what young girl on this earth, mostly... Uh, would not appreciate some older boy showing them special attention. And so they do it very purposefully. They know what they're doing. They have an agenda. And so they'll just start, you know, flirting or saying, I think you're so pretty. And, you know, they get their phone number and they start texting each other. And it's a grooming process. And and first the boy will says, oh, send me a picture of your beautiful smile. Oh, I love that smile. And send me a picture of your beautiful long hair. It's so beautiful. You're so beautiful. And it's just this grooming process. And the girl is so flattered. And, you know, and she wants to be liked. And she starts maybe, you know, having feelings for this boy. And, you know, it's just that kind of dream for a little girl. And the next thing you know, the boy says, you know, okay, well, you know, send me a picture of you in a bathing suit, you know, and, and the next thing will send me a picture of you without your bathing suit top on. And these girls will first go, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not comfortable with that. Well, don't you care about me? And, you know, don't you love me? And 
This is how I'm going to know that you really do love me. If you're willing to only let me see. Because I'm the only one that's ever going to see this picture. But then I'll know you really love me or you really care about me. And so most of the girls, they don't want to send a picture like that. But they will. And it doesn't take that much. And so next thing you know, they will. And then they're trapped. Because then what the boys are doing is, okay, now send me a picture where I can see everything. And the girls know, well, if you don't send it to me, then I'll send this picture of you topless to your mom and dad or to all of my friends at school or I'll post it on Facebook. And the next thing you know, the girl is feeling blackmailed and so then she sends more and then the trap and the noose gets tighter and tighter. Y'all, this is a very common trap that's happening to way too many girls. You've got to talk about it. You've got to go ahead and teach them the pattern so that they can recognize the pattern before they get trapped. And so I am sorry that I have had to share with you such awful things and awful thoughts. But I have felt really for over a month now that I needed to do this episode. There is more that we could talk about. I encourage you. There's a website called defendinnocence.org. We have partnered with them to help educate parents on how to protect their children They have the most amazing resources. They have little lessons. You can get on our email list for Defend Innocence to get a series of 12 lessons to teach your children if you want a more organized approach. Um, And we would love to do that. I'd love for you to join that Defend Innocence email sign up. Um, If you want more information, just email me, monica at theetiquettefactory.com. Hey, you all listen. Share this episode. Don't keep this information to yourself. Send it to your friends. I don't care if your friends ever listen to another episode of mine. I want them to listen to this one. Say, hey, this won't be fun to listen to, but listen to it. I'll, I'll leave you with a story. Um, I had shared some of this information with a friend of mine many years ago. And... Um, After our conversation, uh, it was close to a holiday gathering, and she went to this holiday gathering, and at at the table, she just, you know, of course, this information was on her mind because we had talked about it, but she noticed her sister's daughter, who was about 12, 13 at the time, was sitting at the table with her grandfather. Um, So it, it was her dad's father. And she just, she said, I noticed that throughout the entire dinner with all, you know, everyone was at this long table, all the adults and kids, this grandfather and this 12, 13 year old girl just were completely, it's like they were sitting at the table with no one else there. This grandfather never acknowledged anyone else at the table, never talked to anyone else, just him and this little girl just kind of whispered back and forth and talked throughout this entire meal. 
and she said, when you told me how that's not normal adult behavior, she goes, I just, I just got this pit in my stomach. Well, long story short, after some inquiry, some asking questions, some, um, they found out that indeed there was, um, you know, this little girl was being molested by her grandfather. And y'all, all it was was because my friend had this information that I've shared with you today on her mind, she was able to recognize something that didn't seem right. And she wonders if she would have noticed it had we not discussed these things before. And so I'm sorry, you are going to be more aware of things and you're going to see things now. And, but I want you to remember that the most important job you and I will ever do on this earth is to protect children. You know, that's, we have to protect these children and other children just besides our children need us. And it's like me telling that mother at church that day that someone was tickling her daughter's back. Some of you might, I know there's things you've seen, but then you didn't feel like it was your place to say something. And what if you were wrong? Parents, you got to quit worrying about that. You know, I wasn't accusing him of molesting their daughter. I just made sure the mom knew that there was a 20-something-year-old boy tickling her daughter's back. You have to be able to do things like that. These kids need us to not be afraid to look out for their welfare and their safety. I hope you will join me in being a lookout for children. I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for your support for this podcast. I'd love for you to give it a review on iTunes. I know it's hard to do that, but that is the best way you can thank me and to help children. Um, But share this, uh, share it, and y'all have a good week, and thank you for listening. Bye.